Hey everybody, it's Sam, that girl with the curls, and if you've noticed, I had a rapid change in voice recently. Um, I'm once again getting over another cold and didn't think to record this intro ahead of time, and so now it has turned into a might-be-losing-my-voice type scenario, which is always fun. But I didn't want to delay this episode because it is episode 100, which is really exciting. And so, uh, yeah, I was planning on doing a bit longer of an intro prior to the voice possibly going. Um, but I might have to curb that one and maybe save it for the next episode or just write it up on the Facebook page um, or on my personal page. I don't know. Uh I'm obviously really great at branding, so, you know. Um, what I will say is that I didn't think I would get to 100 episodes. I really, honest to God, didn't. Um, it started as something that I did for Word of the Nerd um, that uh, ended, obviously, and then I transferred it over to strike it out on my own, in a way. Um, it has been continually a, a an amazing experience uh, in terms of the people I've talked to, who some of which I've become very good friends with, um, and, uh, and, and I don't know, it's, it's, I've been able to pull my real life friends into it as well, and uh, talk to them about things we would probably normally talk about, but then also kind of, you know, give them a platform as well, so um, I'm so happy to have at least reached this, uh, I suppose, milestone. Uh, I apologize again for the quality and timbre of my voice currently, um, but you know, better this than absolute silence, I suppose, um, unless you're more of a fan of me not talking at the at the top of these things. Um, <clears throat> uh, so yeah, it, it's been uh, fantastic, and I'm looking forward to however many more come after this. Uh, and this one was especially fun because it's James Asmus, who uh, I have, he was like one of the first creators who I really became friends with in terms of, uh, I re had started reviewing his comic uh, with Jim Vistante, uh, The End Times of Bram and Ben, or with Bram and Ben, sorry, we, we get into it in the episode too. Um, he was one of the first writers who really uh, commented on how I was reviewing their comic. Uh, because it did speak to me as a lapsed Catholic, so uh, it was it was fun to analyze it and kind of go on rants and whatnot. And I can maybe even link to those original um, reviews or post them at the very least. Uh, but yeah, so James was one of the first creators to even like follow me on Twitter, which was a big deal at the time because you know when you're starting and trying to figure out what the hell Twitter even is and how it works for you as, as, as anything. Um, it was just kind of fun to have James to, uh, you know, uh, bounce stuff off of every once in a while on Twitter. I'm, I'm the worst at trying to do that stuff. So anytime I can interact well, with someone is a bonus. So I, James and I have been trying to record something back and forth for some time now. Uh, so it was good that we could finally do this for the 100th episode. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm so happy this happened. I'm so happy that James was the guest. I'm just happy in general. The, don't let the voice uh, confuse you. But uh, 
Thank you for those of you who have been listening. Um, I appreciate you and everything that you do in terms of listening. Uh, you know, if you want to give any feedback, please do. Um, there's the website. There's uh, on SoundCloud. There is also uh, you can follow me at darling underscore Sammy S A M M Y. You can go to Facebook and it's that girl with the curls podcast um, on on there. And yeah, uh, hopefully we'll just keep uh, rocking this and uh, I will not have lost my voice by the next one. Okay. Uh, Please do enjoy episode 100, James Asmus. Tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive. Got my water ready to rock and roll. <laughs> oh man, it's got what plants need. Electrolyte. <laughs> oh, it's like staring into the future. I know it's it's really not even the future; it's the present. Never mind. I know it's really upsetting. The more and more that it's correct. Yeah, it's like, damn you, Judd. How did you know? <laughs> The mic judge. That's what it is. Never mind. I'm tired. Never mind. It's alright. No one use me as a reference. <laughs> <laughs> I did that the like the last couple of podcasts I've been recording. I have just like completely blanked on things I know I know. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like, no, your your whole thing is that you understand the minutia of something and can recall things at a quick, you know, <laughs> rapid fire pace. This is not good for your reputation. Oh yeah, that's been. That's been me since having a baby again mm-hmm. is I like am blanking on shit that is so basic. <laughs> yeah, I was joking with my sister. I was like, yeah, I, I have a, 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 an ability to recall details, but I've lost math. So trade-offs, <laughs> I think. It's like, I didn't go to college to be a math major. That's all I know. <laughs> it's like, I just know random dates and times in history. So... Whatever. This is my life. This is the truth I live. (laughs) But speaking of truths that I live, this one is the hundredth episode of That Girl with the Curls. Yay! Congratulations! Yay! Thank you! And and you, James Asmus, are my guest on the hundredth episode. Yay! Wait, just me? Yeah, just you! Like a a back-to-back star-studded extravaganza. Oh no, I'm not that popular. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I gotta work within my means, come on. <laughs> You're the one I could afford, and by afford I mean you did it for free. <laughs> well, hey, hey, there's something to shoot for for episode 200. Okay, right? yeah, we'll see <laughs> if it even gets to that point. <laughs> like, the fact that I even made it to 100 is kind of the more shocking development on my end, so I'm just happy to be here, I guess. <laughs> well, we're... You know, the the internet, we're happy to have you, Sam. Yay! At least somebody is. <laughs> but, uh, actually, because so, you and I have been trying to do this for a while now, actually. <laughs> Almost a hundred episodes. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> back when I was still at Word of the Nerd, you and um, and Jim Festante did a podcast with, with myself and uh, my friend JP, or Jason, 
um, that was all about Bram and Ben, which was your amazing book that I reviewed for Word of the Nerd at the time. Uh, so technically, we have done a podcast together. It was just back in the old regime, and now it's the new <laughs> regime. <laughs> in, a, in a previous incarnation. See, yes. yes, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that, comrade. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it was, for me, it was, it, uh, I really wanted you to be on this just because you were technically the first creator that ever, like, followed me on Twitter and then just became kind of a... A, a friend to see at cons and everything, and just a friend in general, so this is the gushy part where I'm just like, thank you, James, for being so awesome and nice to me. <laughs> well, you know, you're you're great, so you made it easy. <laughs> no, you're great. Oh. Mutual appreciation. Well, you can just skip about the next five minutes. Okay, yeah, yeah. like that. Exactly. Each other. This is, well, this is like whenever we meet, not meet, whenever we see each other at a con, it just... For me, it's always just so easy to just start talking to you, because it's like, hey, it's maybe been about a year-ish, maybe less than last time I saw you, or talked to you on Twitter or something like that, and it's like, <laughs> let's just talk about whatever, and that yeah. just, that's just what well, happens. I'm, glad, I'm so glad to hear that, because very, very truthfully, I, um, uh, I totally uh, prefer having, like, a very real comfortable relationships with people mm-hmm. um and i'm also terrible at keeping in touch with my friends um, <laughs> but my hope is always that the next time i see them that i like to me i i i know i don't hold it against anyone if i haven't heard from them in a while i hope they don't uh i hope they feel the the same um to, you know on my part mm-hmm. but i to me i'm just like hey if i there's not enough good people in the world, so I, I'm always happy to like get to catch up with the people who are. So no, I, I feel like I feel like especially at conventions, mm-hmm. it's so easy to be um, uh, a little anxious about how many people there you don't know but want to talk to, and mm-hmm. maybe you admire their work, but you don't know what they're like socially or if they are going to be that one in. 25 people who's like go away yeah no it's it's yeah i can imagine it from at least from my perspective yeah i feel the same way half the time where i'm like um especially when i first started doing like reviews and going to cons as like technically a i guess quote-unquote journalist i don't even know if that really counted but i'll take it if i can (laughs) but yeah it's always like even when i'm trying to invite people on the show there's that weird like i don't want to cross the stalker line like, I don't want to be that person that shows up as like, hey, I really like your work. You want to come on my podcast? <laughs> and, um, well, and, and also, I think I, I can understand the, uh, the anxiety to that because also what is a totally normal, reasonable um, conversation to have with one creator might be perceived as excessive by mm-hmm. another. Yeah, definitely. And that's make you or anyone else feel extra anxious about talking to creators at shows. But I, I, I really feel the vast majority of comics people are um, really chill and like just happy anyone cares about yeah. what they've done. No, I can um, I can tell you right now in a hundred episodes, I thankfully knock knock wood. I don't think that's actually real wood that I have over there. Anyway, uh, I I feel like I've been very lucky in that I haven't had a bad 
experience, really, like in terms of talking to people. I mean, this could change on a dime right now, but, um, and, and then I'll blame <laughs> you for that, but. <laughs> well, hey, we got to make the 100th episode special, so right? let's tank this. All right, let's do some awkward conversation. <laughs> it's like, I stretched for this one. Ah, there we go. <laughs> No, but it it is yeah the the con experience, especially from your perspective uh, of the person who's at the table, and you're kind of stuck there to a certain degree. Yes. And then the person on the opposite side of the table, which is normally me, who uh, you know it's it's this this thing where I think after a couple of cons, you just start to become familiar with certain people coming by, and then yeah yeah for sure yeah there's definitely people who. I'm terrible with names, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it is. There are a lot of people who, when they show up, I totally recognize them from other shows, and you know, it's it's usually uh, comforting and positive, and I'm sort of happy to see people again. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, they're like, I'm sorry, I was here last year. I'm like, why are you apologizing? <laughs> <laughs> My parents don't even still read my stuff, so the fact that you do is wonderful. I can't get anyone in my family to read anything that I write, so there you go. Yeah, right? My parents still buy everything, but they're like, I don't know, you just ended up writing so much that you just can't read it all. We, we didn't expect that you'd actually be good at it and that like things would happen <laughs> right. for you. Like, uh, no, this would be a novelty and like we need to be the person who read it. Mm-hmm. So. We figured you'd just become an accountant eventually, so... <laughs> Wow. Hey, there's still time. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> According to all those what DeVry and Phoenix University things, you can you can do whatever you want in the span of like three months. So that's true. Uh, I am thinking about getting my correspondence animal husbandry license. Oh, interesting. Good for you, James. You know, start start middle of the life, and uh, it'll work out for you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it'll give you more fodder for the next comic book. You're right. <laughs> exactly. It's all about animal, animal husbandry. <laughs> Yeah, it's just called Animal Husbands. Oh. Like, this is the future liberals want, so... <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> just hold that up. Well, and, and, and I always feel like, personally, like, I always feel like I hang around too long sometimes. Like, I'm I'm always worried that I'm just kind of that person standing there, like, are, is the conversation done, or is it still going? I don't know. Why am I still here? I should go. You know, but uh, truthfully, I also feel like where that uh, line is mm-hmm. is really uh, largely rendered moot at cons where the, the creator just has to sit there. Yeah. And so, and if no one, you know, I think I think the only balance is like um, sometimes a little part of me uh, weeps when I can't deftly pause a conversation in time to catch someone who's browsing Mm. and like engagement might turn into them buying something or being interested but uh but also the vast majority of people who walk by your table at a show like don't want you to talk to them (laughs) or like it's cool (laughs) if you just say hey let me know if you have questions but i even I tried to just leave it at that. I'm not one of those people who's like, okay, wait, let me tell you about this. What do you like? You yeah. like this? Okay, then by, like, I, I can't, I'm not, there's, I don't know. There's, it's, I'm too, I'm too Midwestern. There's definitely something in the, like, snake oil salesman aspect of being at a convention, like, especially 
for for certain tables. I mean, yeah, you see it all the time. Like some people are pretty chill behind the table. They're they're like, hey, if you like my stuff, cool. If you don't, whatever. Um, and then there's other people that are standing up and trying to like just force things into your hand. Um, yeah. So and I mean, truthfully, if I were um, if I were a creator who had nothing on the table you've heard of, mm-hmm. um, and I had paid to get there and I'm trying to move my self-published thing, mm-hmm. then like, then yes, I would be trying to hustle like that. <laughs> and I sort of understand it a lot more. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm able to fall back into my comfort zone by the fact that someone can walk by and you're like, Oh, I've heard of you. Like he's got a Spider-Man book. I know who Spider-Man is. He's got <laughs> King Kong and my little pony. What? Who is this person? My God. <laughs> That writes these very disparate uh, uh, things that I've heard of. Um, Do you like so, that quality? Do you like that, that aspect of your job? Uh, that I write so many different things? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, um, so, for the probably majority of people listening who have no idea who I am, I, <laughs> I, I had started actually, um, I grew up thinking I wanted to be an actor, and mm. I was in theater my whole childhood and into college when I got a theater degree and it was only in college that I turned into writing and I started to find that what I loved about acting which was trying to sincerely understand someone who is a completely different person mm-hmm. experience perspective for me yeah trying to really understand um their lives, their emotions, their thinking. When I'm writing, I can do that five times over, ten times over. Um, and I can sort of get in the heads of all the characters and uh, and do that for people who are even more different from me that I never would have been cast as. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know Dominican refugee girls or, <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, uh, 90-year-olds... Uh, you know, former accountants, like whatever, yeah. whatever it is, um, <laughs> whatever improv suggestions people can give you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think that extends into even the whole cloth of the projects that I write. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, when I started writing for theater, I was writing, you know, romantic comedy musicals and, um, adventure theater and tragedies like mm-hmm. everything so yeah. uh and, and and it was that ability to shift gears and try something new that i loved so in my comics writing i've definitely gravitated towards an opportunity to do something that felt very different from what i've done before mm-hmm. and maybe that's to the detriment of my career in <laughs> that i've never become like oh he's the guy you gotta get for that thing like um, yeah um Certainly not to make this sound reductive to him, because he's brilliant, but Ed Brubaker does a certain kind of, like, grounded, pulpy... Yeah. uh, You know, kind of... um, True crime, kind of. Yeah, exactly, like classic crime espionage. There's, like, a real uh, corner of of fiction that you feel like, oh, he's the king of this thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. you know, Chip Zdarsky is consistently hilarious, and so he's an absolute go-to person if you're making a list of who to hire for that, but, like, you know, 
I, I was thrilled to do Thief of Thieves, a totally straight-faced crime heist thing, mm-hmm. and then do Quantum and Woody, like a total satire of superheroes. And I, I don't feel the need to try to cross-pollinate those just to have consistency in my in my brand. <laughs> in the James <laughs> um, Asmus brand. Right, but it but it leads to things like I have had multiple interviews or, you know, reviews where people have been like, at this point, I have to say there's no such thing as, like, a James Asmus book. <laughs> so, like, what makes you pick these things? And, I'm, <laughs> and you know, maybe that's, maybe that's not great uh, as a career move, but artistically and and personally, I love it. Um, mm-hmm. No, I I always, I mean, because what attracted me with Bram and Ben, and because that was like the first thing I'd ever read that you'd written. Um, and what got me really is like, because the religious overtones, not even overtones, just the religious aspect of it is one yeah. thing, but it's the sense of humor and the sincerity that, you know, kind of co-mingled throughout the entire book. I mean, the sense of humor is just, from the get-go, because that Jesus take the wheel joke is still probably one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I, I, I don't think a book has consistently made me laugh out loud as much as Brian and Ben did. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's funny. Jim and I last year were um, approached by someone about maybe trying to turn it into a cartoon mm. series, and um, I. Uh, he and I kind of went back to look at it with a a degree of hesitation in the Mm -hmm. fear that we would not think it's funny anymore. And I was very pleasantly surprised that, um, I still, I still enjoyed, uh, enjoyed it and liked most of the jokes and you you still make yourself laugh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you forget about something and you still laugh at it. I mean, obviously it was our sense of humor to begin with, Mm -hmm. but there are times I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a, like, that's actually a solid joke that holds up. So was there anyone in particular that stands out to you? Like that still, you kind of think on, you're like, yeah, that's still funny. Um, I probably just can't even think of that many offhand. Mm -hmm. Um, I, one of one of our go-to jokes from when we were developing the series is that, uh, Ben, as a teacher, has only one student left, like one second grade student who yeah. wasn't raptured, <laughs> and, and uh, effectively he just stares at the kid and he's like, "What did you do?" And I, <laughs> like um, that. That has always really tickled me, um, and it was something we debated answering or not answering as we kept writing it, and, and we just in the end felt it was better not to. Not to answer it, but that was our favorite thing, too, to riff on while we were writing about mm-hmm. all the things that child could have reasonably done. Is there, like, a couple of notepads full of reasons this kid was not raptured? <laughs> uh, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, because it's, it's always, like, the, the things you don't expect to make you laugh that I think makes you laugh later. You're, you know, it's, it's always, like, something in the corner, like, what I've, what's always fun for me in terms of... Uh, writer artist teams that I know have a sense of humor, you know, is the background stuff. I yeah, that's like in Chew. I love mm-hmm. reading all the signs that like Rob puts in the backgrounds. Yeah, Squirrel Girl also uh, also has like a lot oh, yeah. of really good Marvel puns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when, whenever there's like really good background stuff, I feel like I'm in good hands. 
because, <laughs> well, cause it's, it's like, it's the level of detail because it's easy enough to just do like a crowd scene. But if you do a crowd scene and you put like a bunch of like little like extras basically for people to kind of find, I think it just, I don't know, for me, it just feels like a, a, a more elevated book. I don't know if I'm going to get well, real. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a shorthand, but very true indicator of a fully engaged, uh, co-creator mm-hmm. in, in, as the artist because you're right it is um you can have a complete career as an artist in comics by just drawing exactly what the script says as quickly as you can while still having it look professional mm-hmm. and there's a different thing when someone is putting in their own love and care and best work in trying to bring it to life and definitely with end times um we're 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 interchangeably using the same title listener for yeah the end times it's called the end times of bram and ben uh, the most uh cumbersome title we could have possibly chosen Uh, (laughs) but uh yeah uh rem our artist on that was super super thoughtful and engaged and threw in all kinds of fun challenges for himself. Like he, he experimented with drawing in like fisheye lens style uh, yeah. a bunch of times that we did not make him do it. But mm-hmm. he just had a tremendous sense of energy and play and sense of humor uh, and creativity in, in his work. So he was, he was tremendous. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like you, I mean, when you're doing more, I mean, cause Bram and Ben was image, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, and you've also worked on Marvel books. Like, I mean, you had a whole run on Gambit, and did you do Young Avengers? Is that or is that you're doing uh, the Inhumans? No, no, I did the um, Generation Hope. Generation I took Hope. Over that from Kieran Gillen, and did uh, All New Inhumans this last year, mm-hmm. and some other random. Did a bunch of like anthologies and one shots and stuff like that. But yeah, it is different in that, um, especially with Marvel, I would say because I've done a lot of, um, especially when I'm doing some of the smaller projects for them, mm-hmm. I don't always know who the artist is. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of times where they're kind of putting something together, uh, and, and they just need to jumpstart it. Um, and so I start writing before I know who I'm, who's going to draw it. And that's not ideal because I like to play to the strengths or, be conscious of what this person is going to naturally do and Mm -hmm. what other stuff I need to call out or or not in the script. Um, Yeah. But, you know, uh, you know, and even working on Gambit with Clay Mann as the regular artist, Mm -hmm. I knew he drew sexy dudes and I know that Gambit is a sexy guy. So we, I I leaned into that as hard as I could. Um, (laughs) And it was also what I liked about Gambit. I mean, that he's a sexy guy. Well, he's a sexy thief. Yeah, you know, he's sexy. A, sexy thief, and um, and he's an anti-hero who uh, loves his work because mm-hmm. so many so many anti-heroes in the morally compromised space of someone like Wolverine or mm. you know to a certain extent someone like Batman. They're also burdened. Yeah, <laughs> they're so um, morose and brooding. You're like Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. Like Angel uh, mm. of, of Buffyverse. Um, 
they're you know they they almost get mocked for how broody they are but it's part of this like solemn darkness that also leads them to flirt with the edge of acceptable morality but to mm-hmm. me it's just gambit is like no that's more fun yeah uh, <laughs> and i think there's something freeing and wonderful and if he kind of flirts with the line but comes down on the kind of right side of what we really care about mm-hmm. um th- i think that's a really f- fun character to do because uh you don't always know what they're gonna do like superman is always trying to do the right thing right um outside of the cinematic universe sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know when he's just killing people nilly willy it's not like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and uh but gambit is one of those characters who just might take the day off from caring whether something is right or not and, yeah uh it's like another series i wrote quantum and woody woody is that same way and actually bram and ben bram is that way mm-hmm. um uh you and just you just kind you of like a one trick pony. <laughs> After Bram and Ben, I was asked to write Conan and Woody in that similar dynamic. So you just like certain. really like uh, uh, morally gray area antiheroes, which well I do, yeah. and I like people who are willing to be inappropriate mm-hmm. because. After years of doing comedy, like I have a constantly inappropriate voice piping up in the back of my head. Yeah, and um. Uh, my friend Matt Donnelly, who, uh, uh, to to give him full credit and shout outs, he has he has a podcast as well, uh, Matt Mattingly Social Club, and he co-hosts Pendulette's um, podcast. But oh, nice. he he is someone I had done improv with for a long time, and something he said sticks with me a lot, which is a character can say or do something horribly inappropriate as long as the world the character is in acknowledges that this is inappropriate. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's a difference between some of the more tone deaf, like Judd Apatow imitation comedies where someone (laughs) is just a flaming douchebag. Yeah. We're supposed to like it or some of the bad, uh, Bill Murray imitators. Um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to when someone is a douchebag in the world, the character is in acknowledges or calls them out or reacts appropriately with horror. Um, you can signal to the audience, you're not endorsing behavior that we can still laugh at and, and utilize as a highlighter on other issues or things we want to talk about. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, I mean, it's that classic, you know, buddy comedy, straight man, weirdo, you know, relationship. And, Especially like, I mean, Bram and Ben, obviously, but Quantum and Woody, what I loved the most about your run on it, it was just like how inappropriate Woody would get and just how much Eric would freak out on him when he would do it. Like this poor guy's just trying to keep his life in order. And oh, yeah. His brother's just constantly fucking it up for him. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and that was, and you know, that's a fun game to see how you can bend it without breaking it or without. Mm-hmm hitting a point that's insincere yeah because because eric should have a breaking point and yeah. so finding it and then finding what can bring you back from it um was something that i thought was really interesting and, and the big change that we made on our version of that book was in the original they're just like childhood friends mm-hmm. and to me i felt like 
that lit that makes the threshold at which you walk out on someone way lower. Yeah. And if you're family. And to me, the fact that Quantum and Woody, as characters, once they get their superpowers, it also kind of bonds them together on this weird molecular level where they have to clang these bracelets together every 24 hours or their bodies, like, dissemble into atoms. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, to me, again, that felt like that quirk to their characters becomes more meaningful if it gets turned into a metaphor for family. The fact that you didn't get to choose them, you're stuck with them, and you kind of have to figure out a way to make it work for both of your benefit to, to be whole. And um, to me, I think that took what was everything that was great about the series and gave it uh, the original by Christopher Priest and uh, Doc Bright and made it more... Um, it gave it more emotional leverage and relevance, I think. No, it was, it was definitely like... I mean, yeah... Uh, there was especially in because in the first uh, first arc that Tom Fowler was uh, was was drawing, there yeah. was uh, as as I mean it's a funny book it's it, but it's also there are those moments especially when you do the flashbacks to uh, young Woody who was clearly in an abusive home prior to living with you know their dad and in Eric, um, yeah. and I think it's just that Woody screws up and his foster father is starting to yell at him and then he's like. He basically stands up to him. He's like, "Go ahead, I can take it." Like he's expecting him. He's expecting to be hit or something. Yeah. And just the horror on his his foster father's face, and then he just hugs him. Like those those sequences, like just yeah. And, and Woody doesn't know what to do with that. Yeah, he's he's kind of like, what? I no what? <laughs> like I don't yeah, know. And, it, and I think yeah, and that that was that was something that to me was um, again in thinking about. Uh, comedy that is not just proud of being terrible people, mm-hmm. you know. Because I'm still, I'm still uh, a humanist, and I'm still empathetic. Yeah. While also being a comedian, and it's a it's a tough square to circle sometimes. Um, but uh, and I've certainly have had uh, impulses or, or, or times. Uh, of writing jokes that I just think are funny, that it takes me too long to realize are also mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's easy to get distracted by, by the joke sometimes when you're just chasing laughs. Um, well, do, but, are you, do you straight up just write through and then go back and edit yourself? Or you can, you know, constantly self editing? Um, well, so for, writing things like comics or, you know, now that I'm doing some work, like developing television stuff, Mm -hmm. um, to me, the easiest thing to do is actually to start from the beginning. And this is what I was about to say about Woody is, um, when you, before you're writing any individual joke, determine the character's perspective and why they are this way. Mm -hmm. If you have someone who's a flaming asshole, like, yeah, you could do that, but if you give them an emotionally relatable or at least understandable reason mm-hmm. why they're going to yeah. do and say terrible things, um, if, you, if, you, if that's your starting point, um, first off, you're going to get away with a lot more. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, <laughs> right. um, I think it'll it'll help you tell the right kind of uh, inappropriate jokes mm-hmm. um, if you understand fully what their perspective is and why they're saying and doing this stuff. And again, that just all goes back to my wiring from being an actor for so long is Mm -hmm. when you understand the core of your character, um, the choices kind of suggest themselves. You're less likely to be, to even think about making a totally off base choice. Mm -hmm. Um, there's sometimes there's a joke that occurs to me that's so perfect that I I really struggle with whether or not this character would really say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, you try to work it in otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm uh, yeah, and sometimes my wife uh, Mara calls me on this. She'll be like, "That character isn't usually that funny, or like they're not that." Good. I'm like, "I know, but I couldn't." It was too good. And she's like, it is a good joke. It is a good joke. But, but save it for uh, someone else who can actually pull it off. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and it's funny because I noticed that in other things too. And I have a really hard time with comedies where everyone makes jokes. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of characters who are funny because of their sincere perspective. And they don't think they are making a punchline. They, they, their perspective or who they are or what they do is the joke. They're not trying to be funny. Whereas I was at a hard time getting into like will and grace, which it, it has many, many merits, but I have a hard time when all four of your characters like make one liners. Mm, yeah. Cause it seems like such a specific character trait. Even the comedians I know aren't all people who fire off one liners. So the fact that these people, these characters who aren't comedians do that constantly. Like, um, I just have a hard time getting an emotional foothold that lets me invest. I mean, what was the, I guess, I don't know how much time you've had, but like, what was the best comedy you've seen lately? Like that, that really made you laugh and like the characters made sense in terms of their, the comedy style. Uh, we are just now watching the first season of vice principles. Oh Um, oh my God. (laughs) And I don't, and I don't, I haven't loved everything uh, that he does, Danny McBride. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some stuff I've dug, some I didn't. Um, This has really made me laugh, and uh, I think it really distinguishes its characters really well. Most of the stuff on HBO, I think, does that really well. Um, Silicon Valley gets Mm -hmm. me so much. (laughs) Um, And Veep, even though that is a show where everyone kind of does rip into each other so they are sort of making jokes but Mm -hmm. there is clear distinction between the characters who say hilariously specific things but don't think they're making jokes like richard or um tony hale's character and i can't think of his name Mm -hmm. versus you know there are the people who make insults and there's the other people who are the joker it's driven by their quirks and they, they are all well delineated in a way that um doesn't give me as much of a hang-up plus it is just like so shockingly well written Mm -hmm. that it kind of carries me across any of those bumps but yeah i've been doing that with because i i like plowed through uh bojack horseman the the last season so far oh yeah i just i've just watched the first two but that's another show where i think um 
Yeah, they do a great job of having it be rooted in character. So even when they say things that are funny, they're they're they each have different approach uh, approaches to how you get there. Like Mr. Peanut Butter <laughs> says wonderfully funny things, but it's out of his obliviousness. It's yeah. not it's not out of him making the same kind of joke. Bojack would make. Exactly, so. and exactly, and you have you have perspective from different characters. You also because there's this this idea, and I think that there was a documentary. There's been a couple of documentaries about how comedy comes from pain. I mean, yeah. is is that something that you you believe, or do you think that comedy can just be pure comedy at times? I I actually am a big believer that comedy can just be comedy. Sometimes, like I think. Um, I, I totally get why people say that, and mm-hmm. I think it's actually, I think it's been said so much because you would assume the opposite, mm-hmm. and um, it is largely true, but I also think the case for that is over-argued, uh, uh, because it's everything. Comedy comes from everything. Mm-hmm. Comedy comes from minutia and giant things, and I... I, I am a big believer from doing stand-up and improv and sketch comedy and comics jokes and everything. Like, um, I, I've created comedy out of everything. Mm-hmm. Non-fiction, uh, out of, you know, um, satire, out of nonsense. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think you can do it out of whatever. And, and the craft is in just finding a way to make each thing work and be true to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's weird and it's an ever moving target and there's a better version of each joke and a worse version of each joke. And you, you <laughs> just kind of play around until you, you figure out the, the most efficient one that makes the most kind of abstract sense. Like mm-hmm. the thing I feel like I still don't understand, which maybe this is like the one, thorn in my side in, in comedy yes I still have trouble understanding the difference between nonsense that somehow lands and is hilarious like so much Monty Python mm-hmm. stuff is almost dotist and doesn't it's not really in reference to something real mm-hmm. uh, but especially on the sketch shows they would just put together some weird string of words <laughs> yeah that don't mean anything but are hilarious and then other attempts I've seen at nonsense, especially in like bad children's shows that occasionally pop up when my son, when we roll the dice on something he wants to watch that I don't know about. And it's For sure. Just, <laughs> it's garbage dotism. Um, <laughs> garbage dotism. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really hard. To, that's the one thing I feel like I still haven't cracked. Like, what makes one nonsense joke feel true and another nonsense joke just feel like nothing? Yeah. So I don't, when, and I under, yeah no I get that because I mean yeah speaking of Monty Python I mean just like the spam sketch is oh, yeah, is, yeah. is one of those things where it's like these these things if you just wrote them down on paper don't make any sense going together like why would you put Vikings in the background of a of a pub and have them yeah. singing about spam and, and whatnot but yeah it's it's all in the execution for some reason and yeah I think absurdity is is one of the hardest things to really do well, you know, with, yeah. without second-guessing yourself over and over again. And Eddie Izzard, like, when he just goes on these tears and starts, like, making up weird names. Oh, like, my God. <laughs> some special, he, he just ends up listing 
just made up names that get more and more ridiculous and why some of them produce like a uniformly bigger laugh than other ones Mm -hmm. is is like to me that's the quantum physics of comedy yeah you know it's like we haven't quite figured it out like we've butted up against it and we know something's there but we can't exactly uh define it in a formula no uh, we yeah my uh my father which was it was the weirdest thing to me because i introduced him to eddie izzard's you know stuff with a dress to kill which which was a a, i was a big fan of forever and like in my uh history graduate office we would constantly quote that one back and forth to each other because it's it's full it's full of history references so We'd be, yeah. we'd be just going back and forth. But yeah, once uh, once I, I showed it to him, because he's not a big um, British comedy person, like, I think he has a hard time actually following the cadence, you know? Oh, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, and, and just even the accent sometimes is hard for him to just kind of keep up with. You know, he didn't watch it as much as I did growing up. Um, so I'm, I'm used to that kind of tone and, and whatever. But yeah, when it gets to the, um, what was it, uh, Engelbert Humperdinck, uh, yes, that's, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. When he starts going like, yeah, <laughs> slap Von Waller, Bendelback, slappy back, you know, Jerry Dorsey. <laughs> it's like, yeah, when, once it start when when yeah, when Eddie Izzard just starts going and he gets to places where you're not sure if it's actually scripted that way or if he's really just making it up on the on the fly there, like yeah. that's it's it's like the peak of like. Oh my god, this is so absurd! I love it, and no one else can do it like this. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's uh, so I don't know. It's but but that's exactly my point. Is like there's no pain in that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not. I mean, maybe you could torturously <laughs> get to the point of saying like, but does, isn't it painful to have the name M- Engelbert Humperdinck? You know, but I, like even with that. <laughs> premises he changed his name to that mm-hmm. and so it's yeah I, I i don't know i just sort of feel like um it's it's plenty easy to come up with other examples that said i do think um building comedy from pain is very helpful in the macro which mm-hmm. is to say if you want to have a um a longer story that people need to invest in and be willing to sort of laugh at this person without distancing yourself from them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because part of our brains just don't want to feel like we are the idiot or we are the fool or we're the, we're the person who's downtrodden. Like, you know, if, if, if a character is getting their face shoved in the mud, like we don't want to feel like I'm that nerd. Mm -mm. Yeah. But, but if you start by, Feeling for them emotionally. There's something sympathetic or relatable, or they have a sincere want, mm-hmm. and we just want. Once we are hooked, and we want to see them be happy or or solve whatever it is. As long as we can get behind their emotional intention or situation, then you can torture these people, and we <laughs> keep staying invested in them in a way that um, you don't if it's just something skeezy yeah and and i could point to all manner of failed uh david spade or rob schneider movies and show you that what they wanted in the first place was like just to sleep with some cute woman who's out of their league and like that's not a sufficient motivation whereas in tommy boy 
you know, mm-hmm. Chris Farley feels like a failure. He feels like he isn't good enough to be his dad's son. Yeah. And so that puts you on the hook early on to deal with what a shit fire they are uh, <laughs> throughout. And, and, and you can care about that movie more yeah. than you can any number of, you know, uh, adjacent vehicles for those kind of guys. So. Yeah, I feel that way about, like, even a movie like Tropic Thunder that is still, it's, it's for the most part, it's, it's just satirizing the Hollywood movie industry. I mean, that's right. what it's doing, but there is, like, there are some genuine moments in that movie where you're, like, you kind of feel for Ben Stiller because what he, what he wants is just to be kind of recognized as an actor. Yeah. Um, and then even Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> when he starts deconstructing himself you know it's it's these moments of kind of it's it's borderline absurdist but it's also ridiculously sincere at the same time (laughs) yeah yeah well you know there's a there's a so there's a thing that um uh so in not to make this very little about comics and mostly about comedy, but uh, <laughs> but um, do go on. <laughs> uh, so Upright Citizens Brigade mm-hmm. and the UCB theaters in New York and LA, um, the way that they teach comedy is entirely based around this principle of finding the game. Mm-hmm. So like, what is the comedic game of the scene? Which is like, I'm going to keep think I'm falling back in love with you and you're going to find a way to lead me there right up until you ruin it and make yourself even more horrifying. Uh-huh. And then, like, and we've just find ways to keep escalating that cycle. Um, so whatever it is, that's just an example, but you, you find the game. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, very often this is taught without an emotional component. Mm-hmm. And so you watch a lot of shows that come out of there, which are these, um, cold-blooded exercises in showing off how clever you can be. Yeah. And uh, it's not everyone, and it's not the people who do it really well, but I've seen so many shows of friends of mine or shows that were running in the same ticket. You buy a ticket and it's two shows. Yeah. Um, where the other half is that thing, and it, I really quickly realized how much I do not care about things that have no emotion. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, something I've loved about comics is that I can balance the bombastic nature of spectacle or whatever genre I get to play in mm-hmm. with really personal moments. And you can do something even smaller than you can do on a stage for 200 people. Um, and, uh, and then I can go and have a, you know, a Zeppelin crash into a giant robot. Like, yeah, it, like you do. Yeah. And so, uh, it, it kind of gives me everything I love and a, and a pretty direct, um, uh, I, for some reason I almost said meth lab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Without realizing I just meant laboratory, so I don't know. I don't know what you're doing on the side there, James, but, uh, I mean, to each their own. That's cool. <laughs> um, uh, you yeah, do you, so, buddy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it gives me, like, a, a 
a really, um, like it really reduces a lot of variables. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I was writing for theater, you have, you know, 10 actors who are going to execute the script and some of them don't always get what you're going for. Mm -hmm. Like even in the rehearsal process and everything, you just like, you know, if someone's, if someone's colorblind, you just can't get them to see red. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I may have the color wrong on that, but you know what I mean? Perhaps. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's sort of the same thing with like, uh, when you're doing bizarre tonal things Mm -hmm. and definitely the way that I like to blend comedy with other intentions and other things. Um, I feel like any time I was doing a play, there was one or two people who like just didn't get what page we were on. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you have that in comics with artists too. But again, it's why when you do see the artist harmonizing yeah. with the kind of melody that's coming out of the script, um, you you know it's going to be one of the best possible versions of this thing you're doing. Yeah, no, for sure. And because I know you, uh, I think at Rose City, you had some Kong of Skull Island uh, books that you were selling as well as, has has your My Little Pony has come out, right? Or is that forthcoming? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, I did a three-issue storyline, 51 to 53, um, and now I'm doing the holiday special. So when you hear this, let your shop know you want a one-shot holiday special of My Little Pony. And I will say this, actually, it's... Uh, um, it was a weird, this one, um, I got to kind of talk about something a little bit more, um, sincere than I expected, mm-hmm. uh, while also just having a ridiculous run of comedy in there as well. So, um, looking forward to that one then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, get it, get it for a, uh, child in your life mm-hmm. and read it before you give it to them. How okay. Like, yeah, no, I, I, I ser- sincerely don't actually need an excuse to buy things, but, <laughs> <laughs> but sure. I, I mean, the, I mean the royal you. Oh, the royal me. Like, okay. Uh, give the gift of comics this Christmas. There we go. And, uh, my Little Pony holiday special, but read it before you give it and, you know, just check in. There you go. Yeah. Uh, was there a favorite pony that you liked riding? So, yes. <laughs> and weirdly, it was not the one I expected. <laughs> Uh, okay, who did you expect to like writing for? I thought I would just like Pinkie Pie because she is the most um, kind of like slapstick, the least mm-hmm. inhibited by traditional rules. Like they, they get in their in their sort of bible, her character is given the most freedom to kind of fudge what's possible, mm-hmm. um, and she's the most manic, yes, and kind of deliberately comedic. Mm-hmm. So I thought she would just offer all the opportunities I wanted, but I weirdly found that um rarity who's the like posh spice of the yeah (laughs) um was like totally my favorite person to write and it's i it then reminded me that i wound up discovering how much i loved writing emma frost when i was writing different x-men stuff Mm -hmm. and so i think i have just like an inner um snooty woman yeah 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 like uh uh (laughs) You know, I have an inner judgmental fashionista uh, <laughs> inside me, which for like a for like a fucking 
bald comic book writer hanging out in his pajama pants most of the time is like not something I expected to, to realize. That should be on your, your business card. <laughs> <laughs> Jane's Asmus, I have a diva fashionista inside me. On one side, real me. On the other side of the card, my inner me. There you go. Yeah. That's I'll, amazing. I, I totally, yeah, I need to have the Wicked and Divine guys uh, give me that that makeover. Oh my god, I think that would be spectacular, and I would read that book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, when I was watching, when I used to watch the, the, the television show, the cartoon, I always liked Applejack. She was yeah, my favorite. She's, she is great, and, and she's actually, um, she's kind of the focus of the holiday special. Nice. Yeah, but I know. Is is Big Mac in it too? Uh, only fleetingly. Oh, fine. I'll forgive you for that one. Whatever. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um. So it's more. Uh, uh. Yeah. It's you know it's a holiday special, so it's more about Apple Blossom and Spike mm-hmm. getting really into getting stuff. It's about the mm-hmm. crass commercialization of hearts warming. They're right. sort of equivalent of Christmas for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so it's, uh, you know, it's it's Twilight and Applejack trying to push for a sort of traditionalist holiday while they're getting, while the younger ones are getting caught up in the surfacey stuff. And it, I, I wound up writing about, obviously this isn't explicit, but implicit, you know, just to give the sort of on-the-record uh, commentary to this. Um, uh, it ended up being about my thoughts on divisions within some families mm-hmm. between the people who are the kind of um, believers that there's a war on Christmas, uh. a sort of staunch traditionalist approach versus people who are like, I, I, I want to go get a the seasonal latte at Starbucks and <laughs> go, <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, I just care about watching the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special and stuff like there's a culture of Christmas that fills whatever, a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's even more than that now. <laughs> right, right. But it doesn't, you can love all that stuff and still show up on Christmas Day and see your family and, and have a meaningful time with them. And the idea that either side thinks that what the other one enjoys about the holiday should created division between them is insane to me and misses mm-hmm. the point of why we like the holiday to begin with so it's sort of uh it's it's about that okay no, no i mean some really light-hearted reading material don't worry um it, is, it actually is it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's filled with gags so many so. gags <laughs> so many pu- so many horse puns so many <laughs> yep 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 <laughs> No, I, and, and I agree that there, there, yeah, there's, especially as the holidays are coming up upon us and September marks the beginning of pumpkin spice latte season, um, <laughs> it's, it's important to know that, yeah, there's no right way to celebrate Christmas. There's no right way to, to do that. Like, I mean, I'm living in a, in a family situation I didn't think I'd be in at this point at my age in my life. <laughs> Life. Aren't we all? I know, right? Um, but but you know, when my mom and my sister and I talk about it, we're looking forward to the holidays just because now we have a a, a, a little child to introduce to a whole bunch of stuff that we value and like, and then just getting to see how he's going to react to all that and what he's going to yeah. do with it, and like that—that's the best part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So commercialization, okay. Traditionalism, okay. <laughs> Devlin. This is Sam. I think mom's calling you. You gotta get ready, but I'm glad to see you. And I have to tell you something. What do you need to tell me? Mm. So I put Walden both of the cups. The, li- the little one is for you guys, but the big one's come for me, so you can share whichever one you want. Okay, that's very nice of you for thinking about us. Thank you. Okay. Devlin is four. Yeah. He has a lot to say. And he's adorable. Yeah. Like, but that's just bias in your And he mind. has, and he has a broken arm right now. No. He's taking it like a champ. Right. Um, that said, I'm not one of those people who's like, you can't cry. We're like, hey man, cry if you need to cry. But, uh, no, no, I, seriously, like, I've had this conversation, uh, with a lot of people, like, in terms of, like, looking at media lately. I mean, I'm a big fan of Steven Universe. Oh yeah, and uh, I don't know if you have you watched that at all, or we started watching it, um, and then Dev kind of checked out. Oh, okay, so I think we're not. I think we're not there yet. Okay, well, as an adult cartoon watcher, um, I can tell you that it's uh, it's really amazing, like what they eventually do with you know the the characters, and like it starts as like a you know a monster of the week kind of deal. But yeah. it just grows and grows and grows, and especially in how it looks at the expression of emotions for not just girls, but also for boys. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, like, Steven's, well, like, 14, but he cries when he feels sad, and he doesn't hold back, like, on those kinds of emotional outputs. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because I was... Uh, a theater kid, so obviously my preternatural uh, inclination is uh, an emotionally loaded one. <laughs> mm, quite, yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, but I loved G.I. Joe and He-Man and all that stuff as a kid. Okay, um, you don't have to run your credentials here, Jake. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, I, I benched and... Uh, like, I'm for sure into, like really tough macho masculine things like G.I. Joe and Captain Planet or whatever. <laughs> Captain, Captain Planet's your example of a really masculine thing. <laughs> He's kind of overly uh, muscled for a for an environmental superhero. Yeah, yeah, but one of the people's superpower was heart. That uh, is true. It's like, you don't no. don't rag on Mati. He, he, he's had a rough life. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I uh, really was almost worried when I when I knew we were going to have a boy. I was like, oh, what if he just, like, wants to beat me up? And there's, like, a Patton Oswalt bit where he was terrified if they had a boy, it would, like, break all of his toys and, like, throw his, uh, his, his you know, uh, Blade Runner pistol up on the roof or something like that. <laughs> like, he would get bullied. By his so own child. Like, oh, but what if he's just a jerk and only wants to talk about football? But luckily we have a very loving child who, mm-hmm. um, does love Transformers and Ninja Turtles, but then he also loves My Little Pony and hey. you know, um, 
stuff like that. So every night he kind of watches like one like action violence thing and one like friendship learning thing. And I'm like, that's a, I'm fine with that. That's good. It feels like that. I mean, that seems actually like a really good balance. So, I mean, yeah. good job parenting there, James. Well, I can't, I don't know how much credit I can take. He's kind of always been like this. So. Okay. Well, good job Devlin with the self parenting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We just, it's really, it's like he's raped by wolves. Within doors. So it's just really leave him to his own devices. There was a, a Simpsons episode where they showed what, uh, Flanders background, uh, his like hippie parents who wouldn't oh, like the, yeah, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't punish him and he was acting up and they go to the psychiatrist and they're like, we can't punish him because then that's what the man wants us to do. And <laughs> the doctor's like, so you want your child disciplined, but won't do anything about it yourself. And they're like, yeah, doc, you got to help us. We've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite, favorite sequences from the Simpsons. I feel like that is a lot of other parents that I see at the store. Mm, mm-hmm. That, 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 and I see some of those on planes when I have to travel. Like, yeah. It's just like, you, your child is being a terror to other people around you, and you're not doing anything to stop them. Oh, I'm, we are so high-strung when we fly because he's great, but it's just that fear of, like, we... We do feel like he's reasonable enough of a person that mm. we can keep him from going over the edge. So if we don't, it really is our fault. Like if we ruin everyone's lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's probably like a um, like a chicken and eggs scenario there, where like maybe he's not a nightmare because we are doing that stuff mm-hmm. anyway. And sure. So, but it, which is which is not to say every screaming child has bad parents. No, some kids are just assholes. No, there are some real jerk kids out there. I'm just gonna put that, you know, as someone who was as someone who was bullied by them, I can tell you right now, kids are assholes. (laughs) Well, and you know, my my mom ran a daycare out of our house when I was growing up. Oh wow! Would see some kids have the same parents. They're in the same household, same time, and one of them is wonderful, Mm -hmm. and the other is a piece of garbage um the other is like a hateful uh toxic person Mm -hmm. but smaller yes (laughs) like sometimes it just just you know sometimes you get a mufasa and sometimes you get a scar and eventually one of them will try to kill the other and take over the pride lens it's just science (laughs) tale as old as time really it really is the song is old as right (laughs) <laughs> but we are we are at the hour james um which it didn't feel like it but that's where we are so um it's the 100th episode shouldn't it be two hours oh god i don't think people could take that <laughs> i think my two hour episodes are all devoted to ranting about superhero movies that i've just oh, seen right on. <laughs> if anyone wants to hear the three-hour rant fest of uh, myself and my my other friend James, I know a lot of Jameses, uh, going on about Batman versus Superman, have at it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We had that in our house and just didn't record it. Yeah, there you go. That's the difference between you and I. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did want to ask because I know that you're thinking about start, you know, starting a podcast. Uh, last time I was talking to you, so are there any updates, or is that more of a hush hush, not right now kind of thing? Uh, uh, 
I was hoping to get in the swing of it before our baby was born because I rightfully assumed that would totally screw up any of my timetable. Mm-hmm. And so, um, not right now as much as I want to. It's still something I'm actively trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be part of a very different, I think it would be part of a whole restructuring of things for me. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, setting up a Patreon and trying to do more like direct to audience kind of web comic stuff. Like I think it would be part of an ecosystem mm-hmm. shift. Right. Um, right. Which a climate was, change, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Which, um, was more likely a few months ago because, uh, I guess just to obtusely tease things, uh, Jim Festante, co-writer of end times, uh, and I got kind of back in the swing of doing some stuff together. We've been working on one book for a long time that mm-hmm. I was hoping to be able to say by the time we did this what it was and who it's set up with, but the contract has been such a brutally slow process. Oh. Uh, I guess i got to leave myself a back door. For sure, yeah. It doesn't yeah. actually end up happening. Um, there in this in this uh, version. Why don't you tell um, me what it rhymes with, and then I'll try to <laughs> I'll try to guess. Uh, uh, guy be trouble pew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. So uh, so anyway, trying to do a book there, mm-hmm. which I'm excited about, and I love people there. Um, but we, uh, you know, mm-hmm. can't. Anyway, Jim and I have been working on that, and in the process wound up accidentally developing a children's cartoon show that just got a production company on board, Um, and we are, you know, going to go around pitching early next year. Who knows if anything comes of it, but that started taking up a lot of time. That led to us getting new agent and may set us up with some other stuff as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So now that's becoming a whole. <laughs> that's that's pretty much becoming a whole other big suite of things that I'm doing yeah. uh, on top of just my regular comics writing. So uh, I think that ended up taking a big bite out of out of this stuff. Well, I I will offer this to you if you ever want to come on the show and do a practice round. You're more than welcome to. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you we can talk um, about the hard-hitting stuff, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and I'll also just quick plug um, the, the book that has been announced, which is Evolution, that I'm doing with Skybound, um, which is actually a... After I did Thief of Thieves there in a sort of TV writer's room format, mm-hmm. we're doing a similar but different thing with this, which is me, Josh Williamson... Uh, Joe Keating and Chris Sabella and we it's uh, rather than Thief of Thieves where each art was written by a different person in this one parts of each issue are written by each of us oh wow Um, and because it is following different characters in the beginning of a global for lack of a better term body horror pandemic Mm -hmm. um, of rapid onset divergent evolution um turning people into whatever comes next and Mm -hmm. it's sort of a uh uh 
somewhere between Cronenberg and Lovecraft and oh my um, God. and very real social anxiety. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's, it's crazy. It's wonderful. It's very rich. Uh, I'm so excited. We've been, they started it before I moved to Portland, invited me on board when I moved to Portland and I've been working on it for like a year and a half now. So the fact that it's just now coming out in November, we've been incubating it for a long time. So we're so excited for it to finally get in people's hands. So awesome. Um, do you know when that's coming out? November, um, and maybe we're doing a signing on the 15th, so maybe it's November 15th, but, uh, also issue number one is like, I think 40 pages for Uh regular price. Nice. And with that range of talented people, whether or not you like me, you should feel confident that it's (laughs) worth your dollars. Uh, and Skybound just does like... They do good work, and mm-hmm. they take the time to make the books worth worth your time and worth your money. So I, f- I feel really proud to be a part of it. Yay! Well, I'm glad I'm glad you could share that. Um, this is actually this this podcast going to drop the 29th, I believe. So, is there anything coming out around that time that you'd like to promote too? Um, I think not. Uh, well, let's see. I'm done. I wrapped my King Kong run. Maybe the last trade is coming out then. Um, uh, you could pre-order My Little Pony for the child in your life or your own collection. Or the uh, child at heart. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, there's a lot of stuff I'm doing that is uh, not coming out till next year. I'm doing a new creator-owned book with Lucas Kettner of Witch Doctor and Kill the Minotaur. Mm-hmm. Um, It'll be a horror sort of comedy for Image, mm-hmm. um, and we, I think, are going to announce that at Image Expo. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff is like long, <laughs> slow processes to get it out. But. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, that's the nature of the beast sometimes, <laughs> isn't it? Well, you know, I cleared the deck a little bit for our baby to be born this summer, mm-hmm. and then I sort of underestimated how long it would take to, like, get other stuff up and running after that, and <laughs> one or two things had their timetables pushed back, so with all of it, they were like, 2018's hella busy for me, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still working like crazy right now, but there's not as much stuff coming out in the next couple months, so. Gotcha. Well, I look forward to whatever you're going to do next, because, of course, I'm always a fan of yours. Um, Yeah. And uh, should people wish to find you on the internets, where might they go? Um, Twitter, at James Asmus, A-S-M-U-S, is the the most active I am anywhere. Um, If if you're a Facebook person, you could could find me, the extension is James Asmus Writes. and that gets updated way less often, but sometimes more in depth. Gotcha. Excellent. Um, well, this is a hundred episodes. Yay! Congratulations to you. Thank you so much. And it's yeah, it's I'm very proud of this show for what for whatever it is or whatever it becomes. I'm proud of at least a hundred episodes so far. So. Um, but James, thank you so much for for being on the show and. Uh, I will, of course, see you at the next convention, most likely. Excellent. Seattle? Yep, probably.
Perfect. Yeah. All right. And uh, on behalf of That Girl with the Curls, thank you again, James. And as always, good night, everybody. Good night. I'm having a ball. Don't stop me now. If you want to have a good time, just give me.